0: from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Washington Post, this is Colby. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hi, it's Stephanie McCrumman from The Washington Post.
0: This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, January 22nd. Today, Democrats present their opening arguments public health officials fight the spread of a coronavirus, and mapping impeachment back to the Trump Hotel.
2: The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. The chaplain will lead us in prayer. So in the most bare basics
0: version, what happened today?
1: The first trial part of the Senate impeachment trial got started, and House Democrats began presenting their case about why the Senate should convict Trump and throw him out of office.
2: Today, you will hear the details of the president's corrupt scheme in narrative form.
1: I'm Amber Phillips. I analyze politics for The Fix blog at The Washington Post. And the arguments that Democrats
0: are making are basically the same arguments that we heard during the House impeachment hearings.
1: That's right. There's not a lot of new information here at all. I listened to Chairman Adam Schiff start things off.
2: Over the coming days, you will hear from the House managers details of this scheme and the effort to hide it from Congress.
1: And I cannot categorize the arguments he said they were going to make in the coming days into three parts. One is that our founders put impeachment in the Constitution for a reason. That reason is personified by Trump's actions in Ukraine.
2: The facts of the president's misconduct and cover-up lead to the conclusion that the president undertook the sort of corrupt course of conduct that impeachment was intended to remedy.
1: They're going to spend the next couple days telling us why they think Trump abused his power as president by trying to leverage military aid and an Oval Office meeting to get Ukraine to investigate his political opponents, and then why they think Trump covered it up to a degree that he should be impeached and removed from office for obstructing Congress.
2: And he engaged in this scheme or course of conduct for corrupt purposes in pursuit of his personal political benefit. In doing so, President Trump used the powers of the presidency in a manner that compromised the national security of the United States and undermined the integrity of the U.S. democratic process.
1: And then the final section I heard Schiff make in his opening arguments for these opening arguments is that senators need to think beyond Washington, D.C. when they consider whether to acquit or convict him. He feels very strongly if the Senate lets Trump get away with this, that it's going to undermine American democracy for years to come. He literally said Vladimir Putin Putin would like nothing nothing better. better.
2: The Russians have little democracy left thanks to Vladimir Putin. It's an autocracy. It's a thugocracy.
0: And it seems like Democrats are also trying to hammer home the idea that this is about President Trump's actions, that this isn't a case where Rudy Giuliani or other people in the president's circle were doing things without the knowledge of the president, that in the words of Adam Schiff, the president is the key player in the scheme.
1: That's exactly right. That's a challenge for Democrats because there are two parts to their accusation of abuse of power. One is that he withheld an Oval Office meeting with the Ukrainian president in order to get Ukraine's president to investigate Democrats or announce the investigation. That's not in dispute. It's the Oval Office. Trump's the one who holds the meeting. He held that up. Democrats are trying to argue that President Trump also withheld this taxpayer money in the form of military aid for Ukraine to get the same leverage.
2: He withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer-funded military aid and a coveted White House meeting to increase the pressure on Ukraine to comply.
1: They haven't proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. What I mean by that is Trump has said, corroborating Washington Post reporting and Democrats' impeachment inquiry, that yes, he held up the Ukraine aid. But he's given shifting reasons for that. And none of them have been, I held up the Ukraine aid specifically to get them to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. What Adam Schiff and the Democrats need to do over the next couple days is say, yeah, but look at this long list of evidence we uncovered that suggests if you apply common sense, Trump did that for that reason. So that tees up
0: some of the arguments that we can expect over the coming days. But there's also still this lingering question of witnesses. Will there be new witnesses who are allowed to testify during this trial? And it seems like some of that wrangling was going on today. What were today's discussions around that? And is there a sign that there are any more moderate Republicans who are being persuaded one way or the other about whether or not that's something that they want to see?
1: We've heard, according to our reporting from our congressional colleagues, that a couple Senate Democrats are talking about this idea of a trade with witnesses. Why don't we let Republicans call witnesses we think are not integral to the trial and let them kind of fall flat on their face, the Republican case, people like Joe Biden or his son Hunter Biden, who did work in Ukraine? In exchange, we'll get to call our witnesses that we think could really help our case, like former National Security Council advisor John Bolton. That
0: seems like a risky move.
1: Exactly. Very risky. What happens if Joe Biden or Hunter Biden say something that doesn't help Joe Biden's campaign? And, and, you know, he's leading in some of the polls and he tumbles. What happens if John Bolton doesn't provide the smoking gun that Democrats hope they will, which I think is a real possibility that John Bolton doesn't have a ton of light to shed on this information? So in the face of that, of that risk, we heard— Today on Wednesday we heard Senate Democratic leaders and House Democratic leaders and Joe Biden himself all chime in and say no there's no trade Chuck Schumer uh, the Senate Democratic leader actually told reporters it's off the table Sir would
2: you be open to say a, a witness trade for 100 million No for I think Bolton? that's off the table
3: First of all the Republicans have the right to bring in any witness they want they haven't wanted to and that trade is is not on the table
1: And then Joe Biden, according to our Washington Post colleague Matt Visor, who was with him in Iowa, said, I want no part in that. So it seems like this was something bubbling in some of the Senate Democratic ranks, enough to get the attention of reporters at The Washington Post who reported on it, and it's been shut down.
0: One last thing I want to ask about today is about the general vibe and feeling of what it was like in the room during these proceedings. Because we had, late on Tuesday night, Justice John Roberts basically calling out the House impeachment managers and also the lawyers for the president, uh, saying that their decorum was
2: unacceptable. I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish uh, both the House managers and the president's council, in equal terms, uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body.
0: And I'm wondering what things have been like today, if there is this feeling of of unrestrained contentiousness and how people are talking about the president and what he might have done.
1: I've seen on the Senate floor, when House Democrats talk, a much more subdued tone after that blow-up you talked about. We into the hours. Tuesday night to Wednesday morning. So, for example, on Tuesday, as House managers were arguing that senators should open the trial up to witnesses early on, Adam Schiff used swear words that I wouldn't use on your show. We heard none of that on Wednesday. It was very formal, almost gave like a professorial speech with no swear words in sight off the Senate floor I think you're right to zone in on contention our our congressional colleagues on Capitol Hill were pinging Republican and Democratic senators as they came in and out of of the trial and both sides said listen I don't appreciate the house managers in particular like pointing the finger at us and and judging us um Republicans were a little bit more strong with their criticism but I I did feel like House Democrats are are trying to walk a little bit more on eggshells now because they realize antagonizing the jury isn't helpful to their case. I also think that
0: there is a lingering question here of boredom, right? We we've seen today that some senators, even though they're all supposed to be seated during all of the proceedings, that we saw some were in the cloakroom. All things were happening. That I think we've seen a couple people nodding off at this early stage in the impeachment trial and. It kind of feels like the battle here for Democrats to make their case isn't just a battle against the arguments of Republicans. It's a battle against this idea that we've seen all of this before. We've heard all these arguments before. We had this whole thing play out in the House. And, like, why should anyone really pay attention to this now? And it seems
1: like that is going to be a struggle. Exactly. How do House managers break down in intricate detail every piece of evidence that they have gathered against the president, and yet package it in a concise way that senators can grab onto, but not just senators, because they're also talking to the American public. I don't know anybody besides us who get paid to do this who get to sit there and watch the entire Senate trial and hang on every word and say, okay, that was a good point. Oh, that was inaccurate.
0: Especially when half of it is going to take place like after work hours in the evening when people are presumably paying attention to other things.
1: Exactly. It's a challenge for Democrats. And then after three days of that, senators have to sit through the Republican side of the defense, and they only get a one-day break on Sunday. And this is where Mitch McConnell's strategy to hold a vote on whether to continue to trial and have witnesses comes in. He's betting these senators are going to be bored out of their minds. They're going to be so tired from sitting without their phones, not campaigning, not fundraising, not legislating, that there's no way they're going to continue to ask for witnesses, even if some of them on the Republican side think they should. Amber Phillips writes about politics
0: for The Fix.
4: A mystery coronavirus has broken out in China. And the virus is spreading there have been
0: confirmed cases of this strain of coronavirus in Hong Kong, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and the United States.
4: It was traced back to this animal market in the central Chinese city of Wuhan. And it was there that there'd been all sorts of exotic animals like hedgehogs and snakes and marmots and things that had been sold there. It was very unsanitary, apparently. And this virus uh, started spreading and infected people
0: Anna Fifield is the Beijing bureau chief for The Post, and she says that this outbreak couldn't have come at a worse time.
4: On Saturday, it is the start of the new lunar new year. That'll be the year of the rat. This is the biggest holiday on the Chinese calendar where uh, many, many Chinese people who work in the big cities or on the coast travel home to their hometowns to spend this holiday with their families. And the numbers surrounding this are absolutely astronomical. So the transport ministry estimates that 400 million people will be on the move over this travel period. And friends here who have been on these journeys tell me, you know, that the trains are extremely crowded. Often people will sit on the floor, uh, crouch in the hallways. So people are really packed into these hot trains for long periods of time. And that's the kind of situation where that is, you know, ripe for breeding these kind and spreading these kind of viruses. I've heard stories about people, you know, cancelling their trips home uh, for the first time in 35 years, though they won't be spending the Lunar New Year holiday with their family. So people are very worried about this and are taking kind of extreme measures to make sure that they uh, do not get infected. The Chinese government was very sharply criticised with the SARS outbreak in 2002 and 2003 for playing down the risk from that virus. The government has learned a lot since then. They are trying hard to be quite transparent about it. But still, there's a lot of mistrust in uh, the government's ability to be honest on this. So uh, while there are clear improvements, there is still a lot of scepticism about how uh, reliable, how true the information, how timely the information is that's coming out to the public.
5: We think that the main route for getting infected is somehow exposure to the animals that were in this market. We don't know if those animals are also being sold in other markets. And they believe that was the source. And that market was closed January 1. Lena Sun covers infectious diseases for The Post. Since then, though, there have been cases of people who have gotten sick who say they never went to that market and never had any contact with people who were sick. So it raises the question then more about how this disease is spreading, the human to human transmission. Did you get it from a healthcare worker? Did you get it from another sick person? The people who have gotten sick have talked about having fever and dry cough and flu like symptoms. And the initial deaths were all in people over 60 who also had underlying medical conditions. So it's a little bit hard to tease out just how serious this disease is compared to SARS which was very severe. It had a much higher, what we call, case fatality rate.
0: And for people who get it, is there any kind
5: of treatment? Just like they're for SARS or MERS, there is no vaccine or treatment except supportive care. So what exactly is the coronavirus? And what do we know about it? So there is a new virus that has emerged from China in the last month, and it is from a family of viruses known as coronaviruses, so called because they have these little crowny spikes on the virus. That's why it's called coronavirus. It's a family of viruses that is in animals and in humans, and rarely the virus can jump from an animal species to a human, as what happened with SARS and MERS. SARS is severe acute respiratory syndrome. Um, It broke out in 2002, 2003, started in China, spread to more than two dozen countries, sickened more than 8,000 people, and more than 700 people died. It was very serious. Well, so far, how many people have Actually gotten
0: sick or have died from this?
5: Um, I think the latest numbers that were posted by an official Chinese organization as of 10 p.m. China time, which is 10 a.m. our time, was 544 infections um, in China alone and 17 deaths. And just about a week ago, it was 45 cases and like two deaths. So people want to know why are the numbers going up so far. It could be that they're doing better surveillance now that they know what they're looking for um, and they're doing a better job of finding it and everybody's on alert. It's also possible you have a country of 1.4 billion people and millions of them are now on the move for Chinese New Year, packed in trains, planes, cars, you name it, close quarters, and it's a respiratory virus, so it's droplets when you sneeze and cough could be maybe more sustained human-to-human transmission. And so what do we know about how it actually got to the U.S.? So the CDC had a briefing this week, and we asked them about how this person, how this traveler, came to the U.S., how it got picked up, and how it was detected.
2: He came in before that screening was done and was actually not with symptoms when he came into
1: the United States
5: it turns out he was a pretty astute gentleman. He was checking the internet. He had gone back to Wuhan, the city where this outbreak, we believe, originated, and was aware of the news. After he landed, he started to feel not good. And on Sunday, he reached out to his provider and then Things went into place, and they notified the state and federal officials. And within a day, CDC had collected his specimens and tested them and confirmed that he did indeed have the new coronavirus. So how are, how are officials
0: here trying to prevent something like that from happening again?
5: I think airport screening is something they have put in place now, and the hope is it's one level of protection. It's not going to be the end-all or be-all. So um, as of starting by Friday of this week, there will be airport screening in place in San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York's JFK, Atlanta-Hartsfield, and Chicago-O'Hare. And hopefully they want to have something in place maybe by in the coming days after that, so that any passenger who is flying from Wuhan to the United States, that they will get rerouted to the first point of entry being one of these five airports where they will get screened. So it might work like this. You're, you want to go from Wuhan to Boston. So maybe your flight takes you Wuhan, Shanghai, Boston. Under this funneling or redirecting of flights, you would go Wuhan, Shanghai, JFK, and then Boston. And CDC has said this would be a complex thing. They would have to, you know, tickets would have to be reissued and you would have global redirection.
0: So that's a plan that is starting to be put in place right now. And is there anything else that they're trying to do to,
5: to stop this from spreading quickly? Well, the CDC has already issued um, health advisory alerts to clinicians all across the country. Healthcare folks at hospitals and doctors' offices have all been told to make sure you, um, when you have a patient who presents with these symptoms, to ask about travel history. The tricky thing is, we are now in the middle of flu season, right? Fever, cough—these are all very similar um, symptoms of uh, winter respiratory diseases. So the the key thing is to get the travel history of the patient. And they've also issued, they've bumped up their travel alert. So if you are traveling to China and going to Wuhan, they ask that you avoid this market that is believed to be the origin of the outbreak. Perhaps don't eat any live animals. Do not be in contact with people who are sick with this pneumonia-like illness. Basic common sense things. There's three levels of travel alerts that the CDC puts out. This is the second one. The third is, the highest one is like, don't go. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So is there a sense of how serious this could be? I think right now, um, infectious disease experts and public health officials are taking this more seriously. Initially, when the reports were coming out of China, the cases seemed to be more mild. Um, There weren't that many deaths. But we didn't have very much information on who was getting sick. Did they have underlying medical conditions? How long does the disease, what's the incubation period? And we don't really know yet whether you are only contagious when you have symptoms or are you also contagious before. Like in measles, you're contagious before you have symptoms and afterwards. Now with the rising number of deaths and sicknesses, and in particular because there's now evidence of sustained human-to-human transmission, and because there's evidence that healthcare workers are also sick that the level of concern is definitely going up Lena Sun covers infectious diseases for the post Anna
0: Fifield is the Beijing bureau chief for the post The Chinese government has announced that they will be suspending travel leaving the city of Wuhan beginning on Thursday Now, one more thing from reporter David Farenthold on the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C.
3: We started mapping out all the places where the impeachment drama unfolded. Like if you were going to give a bus tour of Washington, of all the places where Donald Trump, you know, on the way to his impeachment, where would you go? So there's the uh, bar in D.C. where Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lawyer, actually stays at the bar so long that he puts out a placard on his table saying, Rudolph W. Giuliani, private office. There's the lobby where Giuliani and his sort of henchmen, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, meet with other people, talk to folks about Trump's legal defense. There's the bar next to the lobby where uh, a guy named Robert Hyde, this kind of congressional candidate from Connecticut no one had ever heard of before, somehow gets embroiled with the president's legal defense team and offers to put the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine under surveillance.
1: Okay, so I've just walked
0: into the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C.,
3: All those places, you wouldn't need a bus to get to them. You would just need to walk because they're all in the Trump Hotel. Most of them are in the lobby of the Trump Hotel. So we sent our producer, Jordan Marie Smith, to
0: the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. There are four gigantic chandeliers that are sparkling in the atrium.
3: It's bigger than your average hotel lobby. It's kind of this soaring space. And it's got in it a steakhouse, a steakhouse bar, another bar, and then kind of like a, a bunch of tables set out in the middle.
0: And there's an even grander patriotic American flag in the lobby.
3: It's more like a Vegas hotel, you know, than a than a typical Washington hotel and that every space is sort of used for entertaining and partying.
0: So there's a lot going
3: on. It's this place where people who have power, like Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, are just available out in the open to any Yahoo who wants to buy a drink. Anybody who wants to buy a drink and sidle up to them, it can happen there at the Trump Hotel. And by creating that environment, sort of forcing the Republican Party's power brokers into this little space with anybody who can buy a drink, Trump helped create the situation where these people got linked up and follow the chain of bad ideas to get him impeached. David Farenthold
0: reports on President Trump's family businesses for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. For more impeachment updates from The Washington Post, check out our impeachment podcast feed. It's updated daily with stories from Post Reports, along with some of our other news podcasts. Today, for example, you can hear a great story from The Daily 202's Big Idea. Host James Homan recapped the surprising moment at 1 a.m. on Wednesday when Chief Justice John Roberts scolded Democrats and Republicans for their behavior on the floor of the Senate. That's the kind of breaking news update you can find in the impeachment feed. Subscribe on your podcast app or at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.